This is Frank Brzee. During one half century of presenting the golden days of radio, I've had the opportunity of featuring many of the top radio personalities of our time. In most cases, I trace their careers with their own personal stories and excerpts from many shows on which they appeared. One of my favorite entertainers during the radio days was comedian Jack Benny. His Sunday night program kept the nation in stitches for over two decades. It was a thrill to have him join me in the studio one afternoon, and we talked about his age and his shows. Jack, Jack, you're the, the perennial 39-year-old, but of course that, that isn't your true age. How old are you really? Well, I'm not saying this time. All I know is that last year, with all the candles burning on the cake, there were several anxious calls from forest rangers. <laughs> this year, though, I'll, it'll be all right. To supervise the candles this year, they're sending down Smokey the Bear. <laughs> Jack, in, in more than 25 years of radio, what was the funniest gag that ever happened? Well, the one they talk about and the one that's been uh, written up in magazines and stories and uh, articles, the money or your life, that was the, that was the biggest laugh. Of course, they, they, they claim that the biggest laugh was when the, uh, when the man said your money and your life was the long pause. Well, that was only <laughs> part of the laugh. The big laugh was when I finally said I'm thinking it over. That was the real big laugh. Gentlemen, as most of you know, last week Jack Benny visited the Ronald Coleman's and he persuaded Ronnie to lend him his Academy Award Oscar. As Jack left the Coleman house, the following incident happened. Gee, it was awfully nice of Ronnie to let me take his Oscar home so I could show it to Rochester. Hmm, sure is dark tonight. No moon. Oh well. Yeah, da dee da dum, da dee da dum, da dum dum dee da dum. Hey, bud. But, huh? You got a match? Yes, yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. I said this is a stick-up. Now, come on. Your money or your life. <laughs> Look, bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> And, of course, everyone would like to know a little bit about your famous feud with comedian Fred Allen. How did that begin? Well, this feud with Fred Allen started by accident. A lot of people imagine that we planned a feud like this, but if you'd have planned it, it wouldn't have been successful. Uh The feud started with a little 10-year-old boy who played a violin solo, and when he got through, Allen made derogatory remarks about my violin playing. So I answered him on my show, knowing he would listen to it. And he knew I was always listening to his show, so he then answered me. And this went on week after week until we got into the feud. And we were into the feud, I would say, seven or eight months before we even discussed it with each other over the phone about what to do next. Mm -hmm. That's why it was a successful feud. It would never have been any other way. In 1972, I wrote and produced a special 50th anniversary program saluting Los Angeles radio station KFI. Mr. Benny joined others on this historic program, and he traced his long radio career. The Jack Benny Program. Hello again, this is Jack Benny speaking. And I'd like to add my congratulations to KFI on their 39th anniversary. Hmm. I'd like to wish them a happy 50th anniversary, but I've been stuck on the number 39 for so many years, I'm afraid to change. Every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we broadcast our show on KFI. And I'm happy to say there was so much interest that in the evening at 9.30... This station presented a rebroadcast by transcription. Hey, I wonder if I ever got paid 
for that one. I'll never forget those Sundays I spent with Rochester, Dennis Day, Phil Harris, my announcer, Don Wilson, and, of course, my wife, Mary Livingston. program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills, where we find Rochester helping Jack fix up his scrapbook. Uh, Rochester, have you got the scissors? Yeah, I'm cutting something out of the front page of the Pasadena News. It's a picture of you kissing the Queen of the Rose Parade. Oh, yes. Gee, that is a nice picture of me, isn't it? And some color, too. It would be even nicer if your eyelashes weren't so gray. <laughs> Rochester, my lashes aren't gray. Just that my eyes are so blue, they pick up lint. <laughs> now, Rochester... I've got enough clippings for my scrapbook. I better start pasting them in. You know? Boss, I looked everywhere, but I can't find the glue. Well, just mix some flour and water. That'll make a good paste. I thought of that, too, but we're all out of flour. We're out of flour? Yeah, yesterday I had hardly enough to finish baking the bread. Well, if we're short of flour, why'd you bake so much bread? I had to. Barbara Stanwyck ordered four extra loaves. <laughs> oh. With raisins yet. <laughs> Oh, Jack, Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. Hey, come on in the house, Mary. Well, I haven't got time. I just stopped by to ask you if I could skip rehearsal tomorrow. Skip rehearsal? Why? Well, my sister babe is coming in from Plainfield, and she's trying to forget a broken romance. Oh, no, not Sebastian. <laughs> no, no, a new one. Oh. And she was so in love with him, they were all ready to elope. The ladder was up against the house, the window was open, and Bay was so embarrassed. Why? He wasn't home. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. What, what did she do? Well, as long as she was up there, she painted the house. <laughs> well, when a guy gives you the brush, I guess you must use it. Mary, who was that, uh... Mary, you know you gotta ad lib once in a while. <laughs> Say, Mary, why don't you come in for a little while? Oh, no, no, Jack, I've got to run along now. See you later. Okay. Da -da -da -dum, da -dum. Oh, Rochester! Rochester, I got the flour so we, we can make the uh, you paste. You won't need it now, boss. I found some glue. I've already pasted things in the book. Wait a minute. This stuff doesn't seem to be sticking very well. Rochester, is this glue fresh? Fresh? Only two days ago, it was eight to one at Santa Anita. <laughs> what? I had him across the board, wind, place, and mucilage. No. Well, how do you like that? I'll get the door. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. I just came over to tell you the good news. Good news? What? I finally got two tickets for the Rose Bowl game. Two tickets for the Rose Bowl game? Dennis, that game was played almost three weeks ago. I know. That's why they're so hard to get now. <laughs> Dennis, go outside and come back in again. Okay. Oh, hello, Dennis. Howdy, bub. <laughs> well, that's better. Now you're Titus Moody. Yep, and I've got two tickets to the Rose Bowl game. Now, cut that! Look, kid, what did you come over here for, anyway? Well, I, I wanted you to hear the song I'm going to do on the program. Well, why didn't you say so? Let's hear it, will okay, you? Okay, okay. Hey, that's, uh... That's very good, Dennis. You sang that beautifully. Yeah, I heard it. Wasn't bad, kid. Phil, I didn't see you. Why didn't you tell me you were here? Well, I didn't want to intrude while you were so enraptured by Mr. Day's musical rendition. <laughs> Phil. Phil, that come out of you? Why? What's so incongruous about that? <laughs> 
incongruous? Listen to me, Jackson. I'm trying to improve myself in literature, in English, and, and even in music. Music, too. Huh? Well, that I'm glad to hear. <laughs> Certainly, Jackson. I just came from the library where I picked up this book on music by Grothé. Oh, Ferdy Grothé? No, his brother George. George Grothé? I never heard of him. Well, here's the book right here. I've been reading it all morning. There it is on the cover, George Grothé. That's geography. <laughs> couldn't laugh. <laughs> Phil, denatured boy. <laughs> Do me a favor. Pick up Dennis in that geography book and let's... Oh, I have a wonderful contract with my sponsor. I don't have to sign anything. We just shake hands. Really? Yeah, but I think he's nearsighted. Your sponsor nearsighted? Why? When my option came up, instead of shaking my hand, he grabbed me by the throat. <laughs> well, if you gave him that Rose Bowl routine, I don't blame him. Now, look, kids. Boss! Boss! What is it, Rochester? I was preparing your lunch, and I find we're all out of butter. We're all out of butter? Well, you know what to do. I'm on my way. <laughs> Mr. Coleman, here I come. You're the one we borrow from. Here's a portion of the Fred Allen Show on which I appeared as guest. Jack, this is quite a surprise, you dropping in. I didn't know you were going to be here tonight. I didn't know it either, Fred, until I heard you announce it five times last week. <laughs> but don't get me wrong, Freddie. I appreciate that buildup. I'm one guy who knows that it pays to advertise. Now, listen here, Benny. If that's a hint, you're not getting one cent for crawling in here tonight, and you know it. <laughs> Why, Fred, I... Uh, really, I didn't expect to get paid for this. I haven't any more right to take money for working on this program than you have. <laughs> Hold on there, Benny. That's an insult. Well, if I... If I was Professor Quiz, I'd say correct. Absolutely correct. And if I was Major Bose, you'd have left with a unit ten minutes ago. <laughs> Hey, that's nice work if you can get it. You know, Freddie, I wouldn't mind being back in vaudeville again, though, would you? Ah, those were the good old days. Yes, sir. Say, Fred, no kidding, will you ever forget the time you and I were together at the Orpheum Theater in Sioux City, Iowa? Yep. Only I was on the stage. <laughs> I don't care, Freddie. I made more money selling peanuts in one day than you did all week. Well, Jack, I didn't make much money in those days, but I was a pretty good juggler. Remember how I used to toss those Indian clubs in the air and do a funny monologue at the same time? I sure do. And, Fred, you remember when you dropped those clubs? How uh, you'd let them lay there right alongside of your jokes? <laughs> yeah. Well, Fred, anyway, a lot of water has gone over the darn since then, huh? Over the darn? Yes, Fred, you know how careful we have to be. <laughs> But just think, Freddie, just think, here we are, both in Hollywood and both of us in pictures. It does seem unreasonable, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, I had a hunch you were going back east, Fred, and that's why I came up here to see you. Have you decided uh, which way you're going back? I mean, uh, which form of transportation? Well, I was going to take the boat and go through Panama, but I've got a hat, so oh, I decided okay. to... Uh... <laughs> I decided to take the train. Well, Fred, I, of course, I don't want to influence you one way or the other, but uh, have you ever thought of driving back east? You know, by automobile? Uh, what kind of an automobile? Now, don't rush me. <laughs> and it's in good condition, too. <laughs> no kidding. Would you like to drive back home, Freddie? No, Jack. I'll, uh, I'll stick to the chief. But the chief is a train, as you will find out when you finish your next picture, Mr. Benny. <laughs> Say, what are you trying to get at, anyway? Well, Fred, I own a Maxwell. And I thought that... You if... don't think you can palm that tin nightmare off on me, I hope. <laughs> Why, I wouldn't be found dead in that car. Say, you're no better than the engine. Why, the engine in that steam cabinet is so dead, the front wheels are nothing but rubber pallbearers. 
Where is that uncovered wagon? It's right outside the door. Hey, boys, boys. Yes, uh, Will you drive my Maxwell in, please? Oh, sure. Now, be careful, fellas. It's a high-powered car there, you know. Right in here, boys. Right in here. Well, uh, you want us to leave it right here, Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, thanks, fellow. What's that noise? Noise? I'll cut off the motor so we can hear it. That's better. Yes. Hey, uh, Mr. Benny, I guess this belongs to you. Oh, the door. Yes, thanks. (laughs) I I went to close it and it came off in my hand. (laughs) Hey, what's the... Say, what was that? Did the engine drop out? No, Smarty, it's the new sunken motor. And listen to this horn. That note is by Stakowski. Well, how, how, is, how is the car on gas? Well, I get about four miles to the court. If I insist, of course. If you, uh, <laughs> if you put your foot down. Yes, yes. Well, uh, how much does that make to the gallon? Well, I never put in a gallon. I don't believe in spoiling a car. You know how it is with gas tanks. Easy come, easy go. Well, Alan, what do you say? Well, now that I've had a good look at this bear trap, Jack, I know why the Maxwell people went into the coffee business. <laughs> Now, Freddie, I'm not begging you to take this car. Only I thought, well, you walk all the time. You're not getting any younger. I think you ought to take your varicose veins out for a spin once in a while. What are you asking for this Rhapsody and Junk? I'm asking $95 FOB. FOB? For old Benny. <laughs> How about it, Fred? Say, if you don't know, <laughs> laughing at your next Sunday show already. <laughs> I can't wait. If you don't know... <laughs> I'd give $1,000 if I could think of an answer right now. <laughs> if you don't know by now that I don't want that car, you ought to have your skull thin. You don't want the car, and I think you don't. I'll be on my way. No hard feelings, I hope. No, Jack, I haven't anything against you, not Benny the man. I'm just not in the market, that's all. I hope I didn't offend you. Oh, no, Freddie, I'll just have to sell it to some other guy. (laughs) Well, thanks, Freddie. Goodbye. Hey, what was that, Jack? That's what my car thinks of you, Alan. Go <laughs> so on, everybody. In the late 40s, prize programs and big money giveaway shows became very popular. The most successful of all was Stop the Music, and it was on opposite the Fred Allen program. Fred could never understand why a program that gave away things could be more popular than a comedy show. Fred took every opportunity to get even with these shows through parodies that he presented from time to time. Here's one which is a comedy classic, 25 years after it was originally broadcast. This is Studio 68. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This glass booth is the control room. Say, just a minute. That little man with the mildew on him is a vice president. Say, wait a minute. What is this? This is a Radio City 60 cent tour. Okay, folks, let's get going. Hey, wait a minute. I got a stowaway here. A stowaway in a tour? Only 15 people paid. Now I got 16. <laughs> Who would be low enough to sneak into a tour to save 60 cents? There's the guy. Hey, you. <laughs> Who, me? Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack, uh, Jack. Come on, Jack. 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 Yes, guy. Put Mr. Benny down. I'll give you the 60 cents. Wait a minute, Fred. Wait a minute. Put that money away. But, Jack, I've only seen half the tour. Well, Jack. <laughs> give him 30 cents. Here you are, guys. Thanks. Follow me, folks. Now, on your right is a water cooler. <laughs> well, Fred, 
It was nice of you to pay that 30 cents. Jack, how can you be so cheap? All right, go ahead. Be like the other radio comedians. Tell some cheap joke. I won't even eat in the sun. My shadow might ask me for a bite. Your shadow has teeth? Get excited. Look, if you're cheap, you're cheap. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> well, Jack, if there ever was a time that you and I should not argue, this is the time. What do you mean, this is the time? Well, a lot of, haven't you heard? A lot of the radio programs that have been on for many years have been canceled. By the way, you, uh, you finished tonight, didn't you? <laughs> Yes, sir. Tonight was my last show of the season. Did your sponsor mention anything about your program coming uh, back in October? Well, no, no, Fred, but we have a mutual understanding. You see, we always sort of take it for granted. Oh. The season ends, the sponsor shakes hands with me, and then we... Yike! <laughs> Jack! Jack, what's, what's wrong? Tonight he didn't shake hands. Cheer up, Jack. When you retired, you can tune in on my new show. New show? Uh, people don't want entertainment today. A radio show has to give away things. Nylons, iceboxes, automobiles. You mean to stay on the air, you have to give things away? Yes. I'll die first. <laughs> well, not me. I'm auditioning my new program tonight. And you're, Fred, you're giving things away? Tons of stuff. Well, Fred... As long as I'm here in the studio... Well, no, I'm sorry, Jack. Professional... <laughs> Professional people cannot participate. It's a rule. But uh, don't you ever find people on these programs changing their names to, to get something for nothing? Well, occasionally we do catch a phony, but we're on the air. What can we do? Hmm. Uh, Mr. Allen, we're ready for your audition. I'll run along, Fred. So long. So long, Jack. Hmm. Giving away things for nothing. Well, all right. Let's try out my new show. How would you like to be king for a day? And here he is, the man who will change one of you nobodies into king for a day, the old kingmaker himself, Fred Allen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And good evening. Did all you folks in the audience like those $1,000 bills you found on your seats when you came in? Good. And if you want more, there'll be a big bag of money at the door. On your way out, help yourselves. But the stage is loaded with hundreds of presents for the first man to answer our jumbo jackpot question. He will be king for a day. And here is our first eager contestant. Good evening, sir. What is your name? Myron Proudfoot. <laughs> Myron Proudfoot? You look like a chap I know. I'm not interested in your friends. Start giving things away, brother. <laughs> what is your occupation, Mr. Proudfoot? I'm a chaplain in a bakery. What does a chaplain do in a bakery? I put wings on angel cake. <laughs> How long have you been in the cake business, Mr. Proudfoot? Long enough to know a crumb when I see one. When I see one. <laughs> now, don't get sarcastic, Mr. Proudleg. The name is Proudfoot, and make with the question. All right. Who was the sixth president of the United States? John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams is correct. And Mr. Myron Proudfoot is king for a day. Folks, here he is, King Proudfoot. Well, Your Majesty, how do you feel? Never mind how I feel. What do I get? Well, first... First, for His Majesty from Schnook's Sport Nook, a genuine no-splash beaverboard canoe paddle. Here's... A canoe paddle? Oh, boy! And with the compliments of Tiffany's, this chromium pitchfork. Immediately after this program, your majesty will be guest of honor at a banquet at Hamburger Heaven. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, through the courtesy of the sanitation department, you will be guest conductor on the 11-5 garbage run through the Bronx. <laughs> at night, in your ermine robe, you will be whisked by bicycle to Orange, New Jersey, where you will be the judge in a chicken cleaning contest. make you look like a king. Your suit is a little baggy, king. Boys, take his majesty's coat off. 
On our stage, we have a Hoffman pressing machine. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. An expert operating the Hoffman pressing machine will press your trousers. Now, wait a Over the years, people have asked me what I thought the funniest gag was broadcast on my program. Now, here's one that critics uh, really acclaim this as the funniest. Now, we've had others, I think, that were just as funny or funnier. But this is the one that has been written up in magazines and newspapers and everything. This was called the money or your life gag. And here's the way it went. There was a scene where I went to visit Don Wilson in his home. When I left his house, and it was very dark at night, someone came up to me on the street, held a gun up to my face, and said, your money or your life. So I did one of my usual long pauses, which got a fairly good laugh. And he said, come on, answer me. Your money or your life. So I got mad and I said, I'm thinking it over. Another running gag on our program was the scene at the railroad station with Mel Blank shouting, train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. Now, people have asked me many times why this continued to be a running gag. The only way I can explain it is this is another one of those accidents. We meant it only for one show. And it got so many big laughs that we kept it on every time we did a railroad station or an airport scene. So that even today, if we mention Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga, it is a big laugh and usually gets applause. Train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. Gee, we're all supposed to meet here at the information desk. Now, when, oh, there they are. Hey, Phil, Don. Oh, hello, Jack. Hiya, Jackson. Train leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. Does anybody want to go to Anaheim, Azusa, or Cucamonga? <laughs> My favorite bits are included in this next sequence. Mel Blanc also played my French violin teacher, Professor LeBlanc, and his frustration, I'm sure, was shared by listeners from coast to coast. Then you will hear one of the craziest sounds radio has ever produced. When I used to go down to the vault, Please, tune up the violin. Uh, I will make the A on the piano. No, 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 you are flat. Pull the string up a little tighter. Okay. Tighter. Tighter. Oh, darn it, the string broke. Good, that's one down and three to go. Well, you better put a new string on, Professor, while I open the window. It's kind of hot in here. There. 
Hey, Stevie, kick it to me. And then I'll... Look, there's Mr. Benny in the window. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Joey. Hello, Stevie. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hey, Mr. Benny, some of us kids are going to play football. Can you come out and play with us? Oh, gee, I can't, Joey. I got to take my violin lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll maybe a little later. Okay, we'll wait for you. Mr. Benny, you better close the window. It will be quieter. Okay. Here's your violin. We will start with the piece I gave you last time. Uh, uh, what was it again? The uh, the glow worm. Uh, oui, Monsieur. The glow worm. Uh, it is very pretty. Uh, commence. Okay. Monsieur Benet. Monsieur Benet. It is such a small worm. Do not kill it. Sorry, I'll take it again. <laughs> Mr. Benet, huh? what are the blink blinks? Uh, I'm stepping over the worm. <laughs> Mr. Benet, leave the jokes to the comedians. Uh, yes, sir. Perhaps we better limber up a little more with the exercises. Uh, as you wish. Play it softer with emotion. Dip your bow in Jurgen's lotion. <laughs> Nero played while Rome was burning. Right now for a match I'm yearning. <laughs> now, Mr. Benet, uh, you are sounding worse than ever. But, Professor, I've been practicing two hours every day. How can you stand it? <laughs> What? Now, look, that is enough of the exercises. Let us go back to the lesson. Commence. <laughs> now, Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny, please. The lesson she is over. Will you please pay me my money now and don't keep me waiting like always? Oh, yes, yes, Professor. How thoughtless of me. I'll go into my vault and get your money. I wonder who keeps it further underground, me or Fort Knox. <laughs> I'm going to ask him someday when I'm there to collect the rent. Gee, in a way, I feel kind of sorry for poor Ed, down there alone in the vault all these years. Hmm, the moat looks pretty full. Gosh, look at these crocodiles. Well, I better go on into the vault. Password. Tear and compare. <laughs> oh, it's you, Mr. Benny. That's right. How are you, Ed? Fine, fine. How are things on the outside? Oh, not so good. There's been thousands of cases of measles in Los Angeles. Hmm. I've never heard of that before. Measles? No, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a city that has been built since you've come down here, you see. Oh, it's nice of you to come down to visit me, Mr. Benny. Well, this isn't a social visit. I'm here on business. Oh, how much money are you going to put in the vault? No, no, no. I'm taking some out. My, this is exciting. Well, I'm going to open the vault now. Shall I take a sleeping pill? No, no. No, no, Ed, you can watch. It's all right. See, the combination is right to 45, left to 60, 
back to 15, then left to 110. There. a dollar and 50 cents. There it is. Well, see you later, Ed. All right. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, I meant to ask you, how are things on the outside? Oh, it's, it's December. Winter is nearly here. And the leaves are falling. Say, that must be exciting. No, no. No, Ed, people are wearing clothes now. <laughs> Well, goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye, Ed. Well, well, here you are, Professor, a dollar and a half. Here's your dollar, and here's a... Oh, darn it, it was so dark down there, I got the wrong coin. Professor, have you got change for a Spanish doubloon? <laughs> George Burns, and we're celebrating KFI's 50th anniversary. And you know how I love to sing, so here goes. Happy 50th anniversary, KFI. Happy 50th anniversary, KFI. Happy anniversary to KF, and also to I. I also sing at parties, so you're having a party at your house. It can be 20 people, or 10, or 2, or even just you and your dog. Just called Crestview, 6 9000. I'll be right over with my music. Seriously, we've, we've all come a long way in this thing we call show business. And during our radio career, Gracie and I broadcast many of our programs on KFI. Hello. Are you there? Well, we're here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight ways better swan soap. Yes, sir. Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of swan, the new white floating soap that's eight ways better than old-style floating soaps, presents Paul Whiteman. Swanee announcer, Bill Goodwin. Our singer, Jimmy Cash. Well, I swan, the stars of our show, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Let's hear some new Burns and Allen show. Now we find George and Gracie at breakfast. George, how many lumps do you want in your coffee? Two. Thanks. Is there anything interesting in the paper today, or is it just news? Just news. Yeah. Say, you're lucky to have the paper. Mr. Lassvogel's dog is always chewing it up. I wish that Snoopy Nato would keep his dog away from here. Yesterday morning, he bit little orphan Annie in the funny section. <laughs> well, he, he better not bite Superman. How many lumps do you want in your coffee? Two. Thanks. Uh, George, did you take the little duck for a walk this morning? Gracie, last week that duck hunting trip cost me plenty. And I'd just as soon not have that web-footed headache around here. Aw, oh, he's so cute. He even comes when I call him. Here, ducky, ducky, ducky. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, now you frightened him. Frightened him? I'd like to fricassee him. Oh, no, no. Come here, little duck. 
don't listen to that mean old daddy duck. <laughs> don't worry, little ducky. He's not really your daddy. <laughs> well, that's a break for me, too. George, how many lumps? Two. Thanks. You know, little Henrietta understands every word we say. Now the duck's name is Henrietta? Yes. Yesterday his name was Herman. I didn't buy those eggs you had for breakfast. <laughs> Thanks, Henrietta. <laughs> now you see how smart she is, Judge. She can spell, too. Go on, Henrietta, spell cat. <laughs> there you are, C-A-T, period. <laughs> Nice spelling. Okay, I'll take that silly duck out for a walk again. But you haven't had your coffee yet, George. How many lumps? Two. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, boy. This coffee is awful. Why, what's the trouble? Too cold. Come on, Henrietta, let's go. <laughs> Hello, Bill. Hello, George. Gracie is inside. I'll be right back. Okay. Oh, a duck with a harness on. Are you kidding? Come on, Henrietta. Come on. Well, I still can't believe this. Gracie, look at him through the window. Doesn't he walk with the cutest waddle? Well, sure. That's why I married him. <laughs> you know, that's the most ridiculous sight I've ever seen. A grown man walking down the street with a duck on a leash. People must think he's crazy. He should get a swan. Why a swan? Shall I tell her? <laughs> I'm in a terrible mess and I need help Well, Gracie, what is it? I got a letter from a boy who used to be my sweetheart when I went to school And I'm afraid to show it to George You know how jealous he is Oh, well, that's nothing I'll fix it uh, Hey, George Yeah, Bill Come in here, will you? Well, what did I try the duck to the fence? Now, don't worry, Gracie Leave everything to me All right What is it, Bill? Say, George, you're a smart fella now, if, if Paul Whiteman's wife, say, got a letter from a boy who used to be her sweetheart when she went to school, uh, what do you think he ought to do about it? Why, nothing. That's kid stuff. Okay, Gracie, read the letter. What? Uh, <coughs> a letter? Dear Gracie, I'll be in town today and we'll phone you before I drop in and see you. We haven't seen each other since our school days and it might be fun. Sign, Keith Fowler. P.S. Remember that rainy afternoon? Oh, ho, 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 ho. Gracie, what happened that rainy afternoon? <laughs> it rained. <laughs> what happened after that? It cleared up. <laughs> Who is this fellow? Uh, Keith Fowler. Yeah, Keith Fowler. Oh, yeah. Um, my girlhood sweetheart. Oh, George, he was wonderful. I'll never forget the day I met him. Such old world charm, so devil may care, so smooth, handsome, yet intensely masculine. How old was he? Six and a half. <laughs> Six and a half? Yes, but he had the mind of a boy of seven. Well, what am I getting excited about? Sure, and you were worried about that rainy afternoon. When Keith was 19. 19? <laughs> yes, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, was he an athlete. Oh, he was an athlete. Huh? Yeah, well, you know where you have that vaccination mark on your arm? Yeah. That's where he has muscles. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Well, what's wrong with my arm? Look at it. Oh, that reminds me. I better tell Hilda to make some spaghetti for dinner. Spaghetti? Oh, fine. Hilda! Hilda! Uh, this has nothing to do with the, with the radio, but this might be an interesting story. The day Gracie and I started working together, she was the straight woman and I was, and I was the comedian. I wore a funny, a funny turned-up hat and baggy pants and a little short coat and a big, wide red tie, and naturally I smoked a cigar. And on the stage, Gracie would ask all the questions, and I had all the funny answers. Well, the audience laughed at Gracie's questions, and nobody laughed at my answers. But I was not stupid, and I wanted to stay in show business. So the next performance, I threw away my funny clothes, I asked Gracie the questions, and Gracie had all the answers and got all the laughs. And that was the beginning of Burns and Allen. And it was a good thing I was smart enough to figure that out. Or I might still be wearing those baggy pants. Then later on, Gracie and I auditioned for our first radio show on NBC. After we did the audition, one of the vice presidents turned to us. 
He said, people will get tired of listening to Gracie every week because her voice is too squeaky. Anyway, we finally got a radio show and we were on the air for over 19 years. The vice president lasted about two, about two months. I guess his voice wasn't squeaky enough. Our first radio job was on the Eddie Cantor show. He also had a squeaky voice. He stayed on radio, oh, about a thousand years. Why, it's Gracie Allen. Well, for goodness sake. Oh, uh, Gracie, what are you doing here? I didn't expect you. Well, neither did my mother, but here I am. <laughs> Gracie, I like you, but I'm having trouble enough. Yeah, I know. I heard your program last week. Uh, <laughs> well, why you're going to let that awful Mrs. Flounder produce the picture for you is a mystery to me. Now, if you let me produce the picture, it'll be a mystery to everybody. On I, I, of... I, yeah, I, I know that, but Gracie... Well, you, you don't have to worry if I produce the picture. I've never ruined anybody's career, and all I want is a chance. Yeah, look, look, Gracie. Gracie, when it comes to making pictures, you're a complete novice. Oh, please, I'm not that good. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie, and... Eddie, having trouble? George Burns, well. Yeah. Uh, how long has Gracie been here? Oh, about three or four minutes, George. Have an aspirin. <laughs> Say, Eddie. Yeah? Who's this? Who is this? Yeah. He follows me home every night. Yeah. Gracie, what are you talking about? That's George Burns. You've been together for 15 years. Oh, no wonder he gets so fresh, huh? Eddie. Yeah? Give me back the aspirin. <laughs> no, no. No, you better take your headache home with you. Okay. Good night, Eddie. Good night, and I'll heckle you on your show next Monday. Well, come on, Gracie. Come on. Oh, well, wait. I haven't finished the story come yet. On, so the ink on, is now dry, and the hero's an old in those early days, I couldn't afford any writers, so I wrote my own jokes. Well, I didn't exactly write them. I took them out of magazines like Whizbang and College Humor. Somebody would meet me and say, I, I heard your show last night, and all those jokes are right out of College Humor and Whizbang. I said, how do you like those magazines stealing my stuff? Some people have no class. Now, here's a routine that Gracie and I did more than 20 years ago. It's about Gracie's musical cousin, Mozart Allen. Since last week, a lot of people have been writing in. They'd like to hear more about your cousin, Mozart Allen, the composer and conductor. Really? Yeah, I guess he's famous now. Oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, musicians have to wait until they're dead to be famous. And I'll bet cousin Mozart's glad he made it. Just the time, too. Uh, how did he get to be a conductor? Oh, simple. He was the only one in the orchestra who couldn't play an instrument. <laughs> Right. Well, it is. Well, it is. You know, for years, his ambition was to lead the San Francisco Symphony. I see. And he never lost sight of that goal. No. And he always carried his baton with him everywhere he went. In case anybody asked him, he was always ready. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. And that's why he took a job with the park department. Doing what? Well, he put a nail on the end of the baton and picked up papers Paper. with it. <laughs> One musician that, that, that really cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And at last, the call came. Oh, the call did come, Yes, huh? and he was asked to conduct the San Francisco Symphony. Oh. But the only trouble was he couldn't afford a full-dress suit. Well, what did he do? Oh, well, he made a deal with a clothing store to sell him half the suit. Half the suit? Yes, uh, uh, the back half. The back half. Yes, and while he was conducting, that's all the audience could see. Well, what's the Oh, they left it on the dummy in the window because that's all the people in the street could see. One suit for two dummies? Yes. You mean your cousin conducted this orchestra just with the back half of the suit? Oh, yes. And it would have been a great success if he hadn't been sneezing all through it. <laughs> well, naturally, he was standing in front of the woodwind section. Yeah. Well, that wasn't so bad. The real trouble came was when he turned around to the audience to take his bow. I imagine that must have caused quite a sensation. This kid really went all out. And you know, it was a wonderful sight to see Mozart up there waving his arms and interpreting the different moods of the music. Threw himself into it. Yes. When he was conducting an opera, he would practically live it. Now, you know, once, uh, once he was, um, he was doing Samson and Delilah, Samson and Delilah, he got so carried away, he cut his own hair. 
Yes, and he couldn't finish the opera with his hair cut off. He was too weak to lift the baton. Well, Gracie, any, any news from home? Well, I, I just got a letter from my uncle, Quinton Allen, the famous uh, prison warden. Prison warden? Well, how did he get a job like that? Well, he had to start at the bottom and work his way up. Oh, started as an ordinary guard. No, as an ordinary prisoner. Well, why not? He had the best qualifications. He served three terms. There's a, there's a warden with a lot of experience. Oh, yes. Uncle Quinton lives in the prison, and some of the convicts take care of them. They make very good servants, except for certain little things. Such as what? Well, now, the man who cooks for him yeah. is fine with everything except roast turkey. What? And he can't, he can't handle that? No, 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 because of his past. His past. Mm -hmm. He'd been a pickpocket, and after he roasts the turkey from force of habit, he can't help stealing the stuffings out of it. Out of the turkey. <laughs> well, like fire, like that. Oh, he did for a while, but then the next cook was even worse. What did he do? Well, he was a safe cracker, and he cooked everything over a blowtorch. Sounds like a nice little group of boys he's got there. Oh. Of course, he's very strict with visitors when they come. They have to be searched from head to foot. Oh, for weapons? For luggage. For luggage? So they won't sneak in and stay there. Oh, he must have a very popular place. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't believe in coddling the prisoners. I'll bet he doesn't. If the man acts bad, Uncle Quinton throws him right into solitary. Well, solitary can be pretty rough. And with eight or nine other men in the same cell, it could even be worse. Eight or nine men together? If they deserve solitary, they get it. He plays no favorites. <laughs> During the Second World War, we were still with NBC. And we did our shows from army camps, naval bases, aircraft carriers, wherever the network would send us. Mail Call was a program that was broadcast around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Service. And Gracie and I were guests on that program many times. Here's a sketch from 1944, which features motion picture actress Rita Hayworth. Well, good evening, young lady. Name, please? Uh, Gracie Allen. Well, I didn't expect to see you here, Miss Allen. What's on your mind? Well, as you know, I'm married to George Burns. Oh, yes. You do have a problem, don't you? <laughs> oh, you don't know the half of it. You see, Mr. Morgan, Rita Hayworth just moved into the house next to ours. Oh, Rita Hayworth moved into the house next door, eh? That's right. The <laughs> one with the lovely terraces. Yes, hasn't she, though? <laughs> Uh, I've always... I beg your pardon. <coughs> Go right ahead with your story. Well, um, it began a few nights ago, Mr. Morgan. I woke up suddenly in the middle of the night and noticed that George wasn't in his bed. Then, as my eyes became accustomed to the dark, I saw... George! Huh? What? Get away from that window and put down those field glasses. <laughs> Gracie, I was only looking at the stars. I was trying to find the Big Dipper. Well, you won't find it in Rita Hayworth's bedroom. <laughs> Honest, honey, it's just an accident. I happen to be Accident? Up. Accident nothing. A peeping Tom isn't bad enough. I have to marry a binocular Burns. <laughs> Sweetheart, I was just looking at the sky. Honest, I never looked into Rita Hayworth's bedroom in, in, in my entire life. I don't even know what it looks like. You don't even know that a wallpaper is green, huh? It isn't green, it's blue. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Oh, so it's come to this, huh? You'd rather look at Rita Hayworth than you would me. Gracie, that isn't true. Oh, I've been going to bed in a bedroom every night for ten years. But when I do, do you ever reach out for your binoculars? No. <laughs> Why, you, you... You even take off your bifocals. <laughs> Gracie, you're making a lot of fuss over nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess you're just tired of me, George. A girl comes along who's beautiful and glamorous and sensuous, and what do you do? You leave her and go after Rita Hayworth. <laughs> Gracie, I give you my word, Rita Hayworth means nothing to me. She just happened to move next door with her husband, Orson Welles. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no difference between them. George... You better get yourself stronger binoculars. 
Gracie, will you please believe me? Rita Hayworth means... George, we'll continue this discussion in the morning. Come to bed. Yes? Oh, uh, hello, Miss Hayworth. I, uh, I had to come in and see you, Miss Hayworth. I'm your next-door neighbor, you know, Gracie Allen. And I want to talk to you about my husband. Why, I don't think I've ever met your husband. Oh, maybe not, but he's been seeing a lot of you lately. <laughs> he has? Yes. You see, our bedroom faces yours. Well, I don't know what you mean, Gracie. I always pull my shades down. I know, but you throw a terrific shadow. <laughs> you know something? Orson says yours isn't bad either. Oh, really? Oh, Orson always was a dear boy. You know, he used to watch your window every night until someone stole his binoculars. I think I know who got them. Now, Rita, this is very pleasant being admired by each other's husbands, but I think we'd better put a stop to it. Oh, I've already dropped a subtle hint to Orson about it. Matter of fact, it just missed his head. Well, uh, Orson knows he shouldn't do things like that anyway. Orson's a very intelligent man. But look at my problem. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid you're going to have to throw a little scare into George. Well, that's exactly why I've come over here. Rita, I have a plan. I want you to make love to him. Make love to him? Yes. Did you say you wanted to scare George or me? <laughs> oh, look, don't you see, Rita? When a woman gets a man in trouble with his wife, he never wants to see the woman again. So if I can catch George making love to you, I'll have no more trouble with him. Mm -hmm, I see. You plan to burst in and surprise him. That's right. Will you do it, Rita? For me? Well, all right, Gracie, I'll do it. But I hope Orson doesn't find out about it. Well, supposing he does. What can he do? Saw you in half again? <laughs> well, that, that's true Now, before we go any further Rita, I, uh, well, I want to be sure you make convincing love to George And, uh, well, I know you haven't been married as long as I have So, um, uh, shall we have a little talk? <laughs> Are you going to tell me about the birds and the bees? Oh, no, no, no <laughs> you to chirp at him or buzz at him. I um, just want you to be convincing. Now, don't forget, the minute you have him trapped, out I rush. Yeah, but shouldn't we have some sort of a signal? Yes. Uh, when you're ready for me, why don't you say something to him in French? Oh, uh, well, what about l'amour toujours l'amour? Oh, that's wonderful. It sounds even better than French. <laughs> All right, Rita. Till tonight, then. Yes? Why, George, don't you recognize me? I'm Rita Hayworth. Oh, Rita Hayworth. Sure, gee, you, you look so different from the last time I saw you. <laughs> uh, what can I do for you, Miss Hayworth? Darling, you know what you can do for me. I want you, dearest. <laughs> Who? Me? Of course. George, my sweetheart. George, my love. Didn't you know? Why, uh... Who? Me? <laughs> well, it's... It's useless to pretend any longer, George. I, I've tried to hide it, but I can't. You can't? <laughs> no, darling. Hasn't anyone ever told you that you're tremendously attractive? Who? Me? <laughs> No one ever has. Well, George, you are. Look here, Rita. I'm a married man. Yes, yes, I know you're worried about leaving your wife, but, but you needn't, George. Don't forget, I make a very nice living, too. <laughs> but I love my wife, Rita. No one shall stand in my way. Come here to my arms. Hey, cut that out. Rita, let go. Don't you dare to... L'amour toujours l'amour. Huh? L'amour toujours l'amour. You just said that. 
<laughs> I know, but it doesn't seem to be getting me any results. L'amour, toujours l'amour. Ha-ha! Oh, Gracie. Oh, you wolf, you cad, you two-timer. Uh, sorry I was late, Peter. I had a run in my sock. <laughs> Oh, so it was a frame, huh? Oh, quiet, you beast. Don't you dare talk to me after I walk in here and find you in the arms of a woman I'm practically certain is not your wife. <laughs> Save your breath, Gracie. I know you framed me. Oh, it's no use, Gracie. It looks like he's on to us. Well, yes, I guess so. Well, thanks anyway, Rita. Oh, that's all right. Well, goodbye, Gracie. Goodbye, Rita. Oh, uh, oh, by the way, you know all that stuff you were telling me about the birds and the bees? Yes. Better tell it to George. Here's an amusing story about radio. Gracie, Gracie and I were in the middle of a broadcast one night when all the lights in the studio went out. So naturally, we couldn't see the script. So we went right into our vaudeville act. I said to Gracie, how is your brother? And she kept talking until the lights went on. Speaking of Gracie's brother, here's a routine we did. I think it was in 1943. Hello, Dad. Oh, George, George, I have the most exciting news. Guess what? My brother Willie's in the Army. Your uh, brother Willie? Yes. Well, if everybody buckles down to their jobs, I think we can win the war anyway. (laughs) Oh, George Burns, how could you talk that way? My brother Willie will be a wonderful soldier. I'll bet he is in the Army two weeks before they make him at least an ensign. Or maybe even a Commodore. Uh-huh. He, he had to give up that big new job he just got. But I guess the Army needs him even more. Uh, what big new job? Oh, it was a very important position. They asked him to clean out some bottlenecks in one of the biggest plants out here. Really? Uh, which, uh, which plant? Seven Up. Seven Up. <laughs> and, uh, now he's in the Army. Well, practically. He takes his physical today. And then he'll be off to some remote corner of the earth. Alaska or China, the Bluebeard Islands or the, uh, Burma. The, uh, what island? The Bluebeard Islands, the, Burma. The, the Bluebeard Islands? Yes. Uh, you don't mean the Solomon Islands. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's the place. <laughs> uh, I knew it had a bunch of wives. <laughs> no wonder you didn't call them the Tommy Manville Islands. <laughs> well, anyway... Willie is going to phone me later and tell me where they're sending him. Meanwhile, I've been out shopping all day. Buying things for Willie to take away with him, Uh Uh-huh. Stuff the army doesn't buy for their soldiers for some silly reason. You know, like a waffle iron or a smoky stand. That's the kind of stuff you bought him? Oh, sure. I bought him a bridge table and a rolling machine and an electric fan. Stuff that'll come in handy. Oh, I should say it will. Especially the electric fan. Suppose they send him to some hot place like Africa. Can you see that poor boy out there in that steaming jungle suffering from the heat? And then he turns on my electric fan? Where does he plug it in? Uh, then I bought him a billiard cue. And a, a billiard cue? Well, that's nice, especially when they put him in a tank. Uh, anything else? Uh-huh, a yo-yo, just in case they send him to Egypt. A yo-yo? I, uh, I don't get it. Oh, George. You know how lazy my brother Willie is? Yeah, but I still don't get it. Well, he always wanted a yo-yo, but he's too lazy to make it go up and down. Well? Well, in Egypt they ride on camels, so Willie just holds a yo-yo up and down. It certainly was silly of me not to figure that out myself. Uh, yes, yes. certainly was, dear. Yeah. Can you figure out why I got him a parachute? Just in case they put him in the air corps. Oh, that's wonderful, George. You're very good. Well, thanks, thanks. What did you have to pay for this parachute? Not a cent. The man at Bender's Bargain Basement gave it to me. He gave it to you? Yes, and it's a very lovely parachute. When it opens, a big sign on it says, Prices are coming down even faster than this at Bender's Basement. (laughs) Well, uh, the boys will certainly envy him. What, What if your brother... Get sent right into the front line. Oh, I thought of that. That's why I got him a Swiss yodeler's costume. A Swiss yodeler's costume? Certainly. If he gets into the front lines, he'll be very anxious to appear neutral. (laughs) Very, very smart present. Yeah, sure. And then I bought him a big knife and a hatchet, just in case they sent him to the Solomons or New Guinea or some of those islands. Well, that's the first sensible present you got. 
A knife and a hatchet will be uh, very handy if you have to cut your way through jungles. Oh, that's not why I got them. No? No. A lot of bananas and nuts grow on those islands. Uh, well, that's right, but what's that got to do with a knife and hatchet? Willie likes banana splits with chopped nuts. <laughs> well, uh, it's really a very confusing war, yeah, you know. Oh, uh, excuse me, dear. Hello? Oh, hello, Willie. Is that so? Oh, congratulations. Now I'll have to get you a different kind of a present. Yes. Oh, goodbye, Willie. Oh, Gracie, where are they sending him? Siberia? India? Panama? George, what kind of climate have they got in 4F? This is George Burns again, and all my best wishes to KFI on your 50th anniversary. And remember what I said before how I love to sing? Well, that still goes. If you're planning a little party, just call up Crestview 6-9000, and I'll be right over and do a few numbers. In fact, I'll bring my own piano player. I might even bring my own piano. Thank you, and remember, it's Crestview 6-9000. <laughs> 